Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, we, uh, we installed a new uh, artificial, artificial intelligence lighting system this week. <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> Don't let that light distract you. It's just got a mind of its own. It's going everywhere. A few changes in here. Did you notice? Yes. Yeah. So this is, this is called progress. So I just, you know, we knew that at some point the construction was going to start invading our space and we made a decision early on and that was just do it. You know, we don't want to have to move out and do everything. At some point we might be out for a couple weeks, but you just go ahead and do what you need to do. So they are, and that's good, right? Yeah, it's a great idea. So, uh, just to give you a little fair warning here, in a couple of weeks, uh, they're going to sandblast the interior of this room, so we're going to kind of make a blank slate out of this room, and uh, then the finishes will start coming back in a few weeks. But just so you, you know, if you just said, I'm really bored, and I would love to volunteer at the church a little, uh, that week we got to pull every single thing out of this room, and then we got to put back what we need to function for the weekend. It probably won't come back quite like this because uh, we're anticipating some other changes coming. But uh, I did want to give you an update. Craig gave you a great update about tithes and offerings. So let me just put something at the end of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we knew when we started this that what we wanted to do was periodically, about every six months, give you a major update. Today is that major update. And so uh, if you would like to now just quickly see what has happened, remember where we were uh, just four months ago versus where we are today. You'd have to walk outside to see the latest version, but take a look at this video.
So lots of things happening, and uh, I want to give you kind of the official update. So uh, you, in the last uh, few weeks, months, uh, since we began this campaign, you have committed to give over the next few years $3,554,499. Amen? That is uh, well on its way to our goal of $4 million. To date, we have re- received $1,330,719. That's uh, an amazing start on the project. And we're projected by year end to raise uh, another $300,000, is where we're projected to be at the end of this year. Now, I-, I just think maybe as we think about it and pray about it and all of that, wouldn't it be awesome to hit the two million mark before the end of the year, which would catch us kind of cover that last little bit that we haven't done, and then we would only be financing about half the project. Wouldn't it be awesome to pay for half the project in the first year? All right, pray about that and think about it. Uh, I just want to say to you, everybody okay? That should have been super exciting news, all of that. Uh, Are you... So let's talk. I mean, are you stunned? Or are you like, I don't like to talk about money on Sunday, you know? (laughs) Too bad. No, I I just think it's incredible. I I just, uh, a year ago, my anxiety level was rather high, uh, thinking about the task in front of us. And we're not done, but my goodness, how many miracles in a row can you just stop and just say to you, thank you? Those watching, those that'll tune, thank you. This is not normal behavior for human beings. Thank you. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. We're thinking about what it means for us to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. And I want to share with you a passage of scripture. And I want you to take a deep breath because some of you desperately need to hear what I'm about to say. All right? So here it is. Isaiah 43, verse 18. Forget... The former things do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Do not dwell on the past. A few months ago, I got a call from a friend of mine. His name is Brett Rickey. Brett and I have been peers for a lot of years, colleagues. We've done a lot of things together. Uh, we've uh, gotten into some pastor mentoring programs together, taught some of those over the years. And a few years ago, a few months ago, in fact, a little over a year and a half ago, he was elected district superintendent. In our denomination, that means you come over and you start to supervise a a whole gang of churches instead of pastoring one local church. And he was elected. He was at Lakeland, Florida, which is right outside Orlando. He was elected the district superintendent of the Oregon Pacific District. And so he moved up to Oregon to oversee uh, all of the churches in the state of Oregon. And he called and he said, listen, would you come up? We're going to do a pastor training thing. Will you come up and be a part of the team that's going to do some of that training? And I said, sure. So I flew up and uh, there were a number of us sharing in the response. But the highlight was when Brett got up to kind of share his heart with those pastors he had just sort of taken responsibility to care for and lead. And he got up that morning and he said to them, I want you to hear what I'm saying. COVID has been hard. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, 
how devastating to pastors COVID has been. It has been an emotionally devastating journey for thousands of pastors across this country. Pastors who have poured their life and energy into building congregations and churches and health to watch it drain away over a matter of weeks and months and to be helpless. And he stood in the room and he said, I want you to hear me. Let go of the former things. Do not dwell on the past. God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And, and I think, I, I didn't know until that moment how much I needed to hear that. I didn't know until that moment how much my heart hurt from folks that left and weren't coming back. I didn't know how much my heart hurt over just not being together for a year. I, I didn't know how much my heart hurt over the fact that here we are in the middle of a a process in which any moment we're going to be handed, you know, building permits. Are we even going to be possibly in any realm to be ready for such a thing? And I lamented. I lamented all of it. The loss, the, the loss of momentum, the loss of energy, the, all of it. And I didn't realize until that moment how much I needed somebody to say to me, stop it. Just stop it. And some of you here this morning and some of you online, you need to hear this. Stop it. Whatever it is from the past that has you bound up, whatever it is that has you held, whatever it is that is causing you to feel hopeless, whatever it is that's causing you to feel despair, if it's weakness, if it's failure, if it's sin, if it's whatever it is, do not dwell on the past. God wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing in your life, in your family, in your story, in your journey. But you've got to be willing to let go of what is broken and of the trauma and of the stuff that's happened. Amen? It matters. It matters. I, I hope God fixes everything in the past. But my experience is, he says, get your eyes forward. Get them forward. Because if you don't, you're going to miss the new thing that I'm doing. You're going to miss what's happening next. And Jesus lived in this spirit and he lived in this attitude and he taught it. I don't know who messed with my lectern today, but it is. <laughs> what went on here, but you know, a whole lot of crazy up here on the platform. Well, now that's too low. I can't even see my notes from there. <laughs> Usually we bring in a professional for this. I'm not qualified for it. To fully appreciate what's happening in the Gospel of Luke, you've you, you got to kind of know the motivation of Luke and what he's doing, and then you sort of have to understand the Gospel writers and why they are doing what they are doing. And I'm not sure sometimes that we, we really grasp what's going on. The Gospels are the last part of the New Testament written, so let's get that in our heads first. They're written at the very end of the first century, Matthew probably being the last one written, which may have been all the way into about 90, into the 90s, uh, right at the end of the first century. Mark's probably the earliest. We think about Mark as having Mark in priority, we call it, so maybe a little earlier, maybe in the late 60s, into the 70s, maybe Mark was written. But the Gospels are the last books written. 
And why is that? Why would they be the last ones put together? Very simple reason. Because the early church believed that Jesus was coming right back. Why write it all down if Jesus is going to be right back? They weren't taking tons of time and energy to educate their children in the ways of this new faith because they believed that Jesus would be right back. And if you want to follow along in the drama, then you can read the epistles of the New Testament. Because in the epistles, the writings of Paul and John and Peter, you know, Titus, you will, you will find they're dealing with in real time the issue that people are dying. They have to address it. I do not want you to be deceived by those who have fallen asleep in Christ. They're having conversations about the fact that their expectation hasn't been met. That in fact people are dying and Jesus is not back yet. And so they have to recalibrate how they're thinking. And they do this uh, towards the middle end of the first century. And then some of those eyewitnesses say, we better write this down. We better go back and write down everything that happened. And so you'll hear this introduction. I have sat down to write an orderly account of all of those things that happened according to the eyewitnesses. And Luke is a person who has gathered eyewitnesses. He has listened to them. He has gotten their stories. But he's not just relying on personal testimony and eyewitness. There is a core piece of teachings that have been circulating. And those core pieces of teaching are called periocopes. And the periocopes are gatherings of the teachings of Jesus around specific kind of topics. So, so there would have been an oral tradition called a periocope that was the teachings of Jesus. And then there would have been one that was the miracles of Jesus. And there would be one that was the parables of Jesus. And there would be one that would be uh, uh, the sermons of Jesus. And these were circulated. So if you imagine going to the synagogue or going uh, to worship in the early church, uh, you would have found that you know, the, somebody would stand up and say, we're going to talk about the parables. And somebody would stand up and quote the teachings of Jesus. The very parables we read, they would quote to one another. This oral tradition was binding and strong. It was very powerful. So when the gospel writers sit down, they have the eyewitness accounts, but they have these packets of oral tradition. And just so you know, these were conveyed to one another and transferred If you heard the parables of Jesus one place, they sounded the same in the other place because the person sharing it would have been taught exactly, word for word, how the parables went. Remember who we're talking about, Jewish tradition. These people carried oral tradition for thousands of years, and they kept it intact without any sort of fault. So if you were a gospel writer and you were writing towards the end of the first century and you had decided to put together an orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and you had these periocopes to work with and eyewitness accounts, what would you do? You would arrange them in the order of the story you desired to tell. And so that's what the gospel writers do. Some people say, well, you know, sometimes Matthew says blah, 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 and John says blah, 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 blah. Yeah, because they rearrange the periocopes, to suit their purpose in writing. That's what they do. Luke's purpose in writing is very much to make sure that the breadth of the world knows about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's throwing his arms open, where Matthew is trying to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Very different purposes in writing. Matthew's the most Jewish of all the gospels. If you ever wonder why they put Matthew first and was the last written, because he has the very best transition from Old Testament to New, because he writes how the Jews got from over there to over here. So let's put him first. (laughs) Let's get him right at the beginning so people get the transition. 
Luke, he's throwing the arms of the church wide open to every Gentile, every Greek, every person, every race, every tribe. He wants everyone to know. He himself is not an apostle. He's a doctor. And he uses the eyewitnesses. And so he opens with us with a prophetic piece. The reading of the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth. I've come to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted. What you are hearing here is fulfilled in your presence. In other words, Luke starts his gospel story after we get through, you know, the birth of Jesus. In those days, there went out a decree of Caesar Augustus. We have the most vivid narrative of the, of the birth of Jesus in Luke. And then he gets the ministry started. And then immediately after that, we find this quick sequence of events in which he kind of encounters Matthew and calls Matthew, and he calls some of the disciples, and he has this encounter in Nazareth, and, and he has this encounter with uh, Mary Magdalene and some of the women, and we have this kind of quick, and then he tells us that opening parable that we did a couple of weeks ago about the seed and the soil, and really, he's just saying, this is what happened in Nazareth, it was the trampled hard soil, and those hearts couldn't get it. And then there's the general tone of the Pharisees who have rocky, so they look fertile on the top, but underneath there's this solid rock and the gospel can't get in. And, and then there's the busy folks that are just, you know, things get choked out. They're just trying everything. They're just try this and try that and try this and try that, and pretty soon it dies out. And then there's this most unexpected fertile soil, this most unexpected. Matthew, a tax collector, Mary Magdalene, these folks who... The seed finds fertile ground and it begins to produce 60 or 100 times. We move then into the middle chapters of Luke's gospel. And in the middle chapters, Luke sends Jesus on a journey. And he is on a journey. We know this from the other gospels, but his is more intentional. So for the middle, just you got this in your head. In the middle chapters of the gospel of Luke leading towards what we know to be the climax of all of those synoptic gospels, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ... In the middle, he has this long, meandering trip towards Jerusalem, and Jesus is on a trip. And in the middle chapters, he's always on a trip. He's always going somewhere, he's on a trip. And he's not only on a trip, guess what he's doing while he's on the trip? He's eating. <laughs> Luke creates this story about meals, and there are, they fall into two different categories. One group of meals centered around Jesus showing up at the house of people who are marginalized, the poor. And the poor in Luke's gospel can be, you can be poor because you don't have any money. Amen? But you can be poor because you're sick. You can be poor because your body is physically ill. But you can be poor because your mind is ill. You can be poor because your emotions are ill. You can be poor because you failed miserably and you're living in shame. There's a lot of ways to be poor in Luke's gospel. But what did Jesus come to do? To bind up the brokenhearted and to free those who are captive and to preach the gospel to the poor. To the poor. Not just the people that don't have any money. Because I bet we could go around the room and we could go, in what area of your life do you feel poor? Uh, <laughs> I feel bankrupt in a few places. Amen? I got no resources in that area. None. I use them all up. Emotionally, relationally, spiritually, because we're human beings and that's what happens to us. And who did the Messiah come to reach? Those who are poor. And so Luke capitalizes. But the second 
kind of meal that we see, and sometimes these overlap. Are Jesus sitting down to a meal in the home of a Pharisee in which he's being judged and critiqued and questioned. And sometimes these things in dramatic ways overlap. So that's what's going on in the setup of the gospel. Listen now to how he writes the story in chapter 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. I have that. Jesus asked the Pharisee and the experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. And when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited you, both of you, will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm inviting you to a different way of living. I'm inviting you to the inverted values of the kingdom. And in this kingdom, we do not stand on status. In this kingdom, we look for how to serve. We walk into spaces and we look for how can we take the lowly place. Because we we're no longer seated by status in our culture and in our world. Amen? All right. A little energy, okay? Just a little help. The Church of the Nazarene was founded in Los Angeles. It was founded by a guy named Phineas F. Brzee, who Phineas F. Brzee has a church over in Pasadena named after him called Brzee. It's Brzee, not Breezy. It's Brzee. And that's our campus in Pasadena, named after Phineas Brzee. Phineas Brzee, in 1895, was the lead pastor of Los Angeles' first Methodist church. And the tradition in all the denominations, not just the Methodist denomination at the time, was that you were seated in church according to how much money you gave. The richest people sat on the front. And the poorest people sat in the back. And Brazil was so offended by this. He found it to be so unbiblical that at some point he just resigned. And he said, I'm going to build a new church, and the church is going to be called the Church of the Nazarene because... Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's going to be for people who are despised. And this is what he said. The poor will always have a front row seat in the church of the Nazarene. The poor. And I don't think he just meant those who didn't have money. I think he meant those who understood their need. You be those people. Live like that. Act like that. Look like that. Watch that. Find a place. We're not seated by status anymore, but we still find our spot, don't we? We still find where we feel best when we enter a room. Well, okay, well, I'm not doing that. You see it all the time. You hang out at church very much, you see it. I don't know if you know, some people are called to supervise. Amen? You were going to help me out. You were going to help. Yeah. 
I am here to bequeath to this group my infinite knowledge and understanding, and I will help other people know what they should be doing. Amen. Jesus said, don't do that. Get the broom and the mop and start there. Now, somebody might come to you and go, hey, man, we don't, we don't need you pushing that broom. We need you over here. A lot of people can push the broom. We need your expertise. Live like that. You take the humblest place, you do the humblest work, and you let other people say, no, this is where you can be better used in the kingdom. Let somebody else move you around. Don't fight. Don't elbow people out of the way. Just serve. But he's not finished with the story. Luke 14, 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do, you not, in, do not invite your friends and your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard this, he said, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, All right. Oh, I didn't exactly say that. A certain man was preparing a great banquet. He invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. I've got to go and see it. Please excuse me. The next said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to go try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported to this to his master. <clears throat> then the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house might be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will even get a taste of the banquet. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? See how it springs up. I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There are four things that I think Jesus wants us to take away. And yes, I do know what time it is. And yes, I am going to get you out uh, somewhat on time. Can I get five extra minutes? All right, I'll take ten. Jesus says, I want you to practice a new hospitality. That's kind of interesting because I, I think post-COVID, we're not practicing any hospitality. <laughs> I mean, aren't we? Like, hospitality is if you say hello to the Postmates guy. That's, that's, about, <laughs> that's about as far as most of us are going right now, you know. I think Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to practice a new kind of hospitality. I know that you're used to just inviting your friends and having your circle of influence, and maybe it's just your family. But listen, the, the people of God are becoming more and more irrelevant to the world and into the culture because they're insular. Because they're no longer practicing a hospitality that includes folks that are outside of that little tiny circle. Jesus had this weird habit. And the weird habit was he used to go eat with people who are outside the circle of faith. In fact, he's criticized for it over and over. But something amazing happens as Jesus dines in those places. People begin to hear and understand the relationship and the kindness and the love. And their lives are changed and transformed. And what do those people do? They draw from their sphere of influence. And they invite more of their friends who also are not connected to the gospel. 
Matthew was a perfect example. Here's a tax collector, somebody that is so hated by the rank and file, especially from the Pharisees. And Jesus hangs out at his house, Zacchaeus. He's always hanging out with some tax collectors. And when Matthew becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, he, he then invites Jesus and some of the disciples and, and a bunch of his taxpayer text collecting friends, and they have a Matthew party. And, and through that, they build relationships. And Jesus is constantly in these spaces. And he says, you be those people. You be those people. Don't just traffic with each other. Reach out. Don't just knock on somebody's door and say, can you come to church with me? Because they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Amen? Amen. But people in this world have broken hearts. And they're looking for fellowship, and they're looking for connection, and they're looking for people to care for them, to care for them as individuals, as human beings. Jesus says, listen, you Pharisees, remember the setting. He's in the home of a prominent Pharisee. He's being judged by this group of Pharisees. Let me tell you a story, he says. What are those Pharisees? Blessed are those who participate in the banquet of the kingdom of God. Blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is about people who take the humble place, who practice this new kind of hospitality. You be those people. You be those people. Number two, there's an opportunity. He says, I'm throwing the doors wide open and I'm inviting you to come to the... But you're going to have to get your eyes off your other stuff if you're going to be a part of this banquet and opportunity. You can't be the people that go, I can't do that, I can't participate in that, I can't be a part of that right now because I'm super busy perpetuating my own story and my own existence. Amen? Now, let's be fair. It takes a lot of energy to perpetuate our own existence, doesn't it? You were going to help me out a little bit. It takes most of our energy to keep our lives going. But somehow... Somehow, we're supposed to also find time to pay attention to the kingdom of God. And this is the illustration. I want you to come to a gathering of the banquet of the kingdom of God. Come on in. It'll be awesome. Uh, I don't have time. I got to go to work. I bought some oxen. I mean, can you imagine getting to heaven and going... I did oxen instead of the banquet. <laughs> Boy. Should have not done that. Should have made a better choice there. I could see what I did. There's a new opportunity in the kingdom of God. Do, do you perceive it? Do you see it? Is it a part of the calling on your life? Is it a part of what keeps you awake at night? What am I doing? How am I... How am I building this kingdom of God? There's a new opportunity, a new hospitality. There's a new covenant. And this is where it gets really scary. So they didn't come. They didn't show up. They didn't fill up the banquet. You just go find other people who will. You just go find other people who will. And you get the significance of this moment. To the Jews who think, oh, well, we're all that. We're God's chosen people. And Jesus goes, well, I'll tell you what. Watch this. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to invite every other person. And this literally unfolds within the next couple of years of this moment. Literally, on the day of Pentecost, the gospel of Jesus Christ spreads throughout the world. 
And by the end of the ministry of Paul, which is going to wrap up around 64 A.D., the gospel has spread. I mean, there's, there's folks from Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey. There, 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 there's Greeks, there's folks from Rome and, and, and all over the European continent who have begun to flood into the banquet, who have become the recipients of the new covenant because no longer is this covenant held by the little Pharisees and the Jews over at Jerusalem. It has exploded and it has been thrown open. And listen, here's a mission principle. Stop reseeding the same ground. That's what we do in the church. We've got to go back. There's some people that aren't coming to church anymore. Let's go get them. Let's give them the gospel. They've gotten the gospel. If they don't want to be at the banquet, that's okay. Let's allow God to do His new thing. The kingdom of God forcefully advances. Amen? Yeah. I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be too busy for it. I don't want to be too distracted by it. I don't want the temporary things of my life to hold me back from the eternal things of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. I don't want that. And it's so easy for that to happen. For all the best reasons. So there is this new covenant. And then finally, and this is the last one. A new command. A new command. I want you to go invite those who are poor and weak. I, I want you to be the people who look out in your world and you see people who are hurting, poor. And I want you to reach out to them. I want you to love them. I want you to care about them. I want you to invite them to your house. I want you to take them out and buy them a cup of coffee. I just want you to be involved in their life. I want you to be connected. I want you to know this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is very rarely perpetuated because people tune into a podcast or a live stream. Very seldom is it because they showed up at a stadium for some kind of a big event. 99.9% .9 of people who come to know Jesus Christ do so because a friend of theirs invited them to church. We, we are the kingdom of relationship. We are the kingdom of sensitivity. We are the kingdom of winsome people who love others who take humble places wherever we go, who find ways to serve, who find ways to care, who find ways to love. You say in Pastor Dave that it, 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 it's a part of the kingdom mission when I bake cookies for my neighbor. Oh, yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen? Well, it's so controversial. Is it? Is it? Because you hand somebody a warm plate of cookies and they're not asking about your theology. They might ask you about gluten, but they're not asking about your theology. It's a complicated world. Just as you've done it under the least of these friends of mine, you've done it under me. Let's be those people. Just a few months ago, I... February 26th, we kicked off this big giant project that we're in. I, I shared these words with you, and I'm going to read them again for you this morning. This morning, I think it's important that we recognize that we're making memories that will last a few lifetimes. We're making choices and decisions that have significance for many generations to come. Honestly, I think that what we are committing to do together will actually have an impact on eternity and divine destiny and there are overtones of deep time and the bigger narrative and the literal kingdom of God alive on earth. 
There aren't many days in life where that is so direct and obvious, and we're privileged to share this moment together. I think a moment like this deserves a giant inhale. We will exhale a little at the dedication of this new facility. We'll really exhale when we pay off the project and and celebrate together. So all together, deep breath, let's go. I just want to now take that, still got to do all that, but this isn't just about a building. This is about you and I being a part of God's great plan in the kingdom of God. And that's more than just giving money. That is about becoming servants, becoming people who are relational and loving and who care and pray and seek and become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. None of us can do great things. But all of us can do small things with great love and together we can do something wonderful. God, would you please help us? As we close and we sing the song, Graves in the Gardens, we, we recognize that that's what we're about. We're about a God who can step into the lives of folks who are poor. Whether they're poor economically or poor spiritually or poor relationally or poor mentally or poor emotionally, whatever it is, you came to bind up the broken heart of and set the captives free, and we want to be a part of that. We want to be open. Help us to not dwell on the former things, to let the past go, and to watch for the new thing that you are doing. In the life of this church, the, the campus in Pasadena, Lord, we just believe that in these next few weeks and months and years, you're going to do amazing and great things. And what we're most concerned about is seeing hurting people touched and changed and loved and cared for exactly the way you taught us to do it. Help us to be those people. We pray in these closing moments that as we sing this song, you would remind us the invitation, the opportunity, the new covenant, this new way of living and thinking that you instilled in your disciples and you taught us. Help us to be those people. Help us to be those people. Hear our response, we pray. We give you thanks for all that you are doing. We give you thanks for all that you are doing. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Stand as we respond to the word. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.